Good morning, my name is Hannah and I serve on the Student Life Team here at Wheaton Bible Church. The new year is here and life groups are starting up again. They are a great place to build meaningful friendships, study scripture together, and be challenged in your walk with Jesus. Whether it's a life group, a Bible study, a care group, or a Sunday morning adult community, we want you to get connected. If you're interested in being a part of a group, scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you. Check out wheatonbible.org groups where you can see a list of groups and who to contact for more information, or feel free to stop by the groups table in the atrium today. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ but have not been baptized, we welcome you to do that here on Sunday, February 27th. This is always a special Sunday for us as we hear stories of life change from those who have heard and responded to the gospel and publicly profess their faith in Jesus Christ through baptism. If you would like to be baptized, please register online at wheatonbible.org baptism for the baptism class, which will take place on February 7th. After you register, more information will be sent to you. We hope that you were able to join us for that Sunday. Lastly, we will once again hold our annual business meeting in the West Worship Center on the West Chicago campus on Sunday, January 30th at 2.30 p.m. We will celebrate all that God has done this past year and members will vote on new elders and the proposed ministry financial plan for 2022. Even if you're not a member, you are welcome to attend. Informational packets are available at the welcome desk in the atrium. Check out wheatonbible.org slash annual meeting for more information and to request an absentee ballot if needed. That's all for today. Thanks for starting your week in worship with us, and we hope you have an amazing week. Good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. Welcome to worship. I'm going to ask you to stand here in the room. Uh, this is the day that he has made, and we are glad. It's good to be in the house of the Lord to worship together. And if you're joining us online, we pray the service is a blessing to you and that you're able to worship with us. Amen. Let's lift up the King. Psalm 29 verses 1 and 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Let's worship our God and King. in the light 
It streams from the hills, it descends to the plain, and sweetly distills in the dew and the rain. Father, we are grateful for your word. It is a firm foundation for every page, every letter that you have given us, telling us of who you are, who we are, what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. Thank you for your promises in which we stand. And Lord, we ask that you forgive us for forsaking your word so many times, for being wise in our own understanding, we think, for listening to other things more than we listen to your voice. We need you, and you have spoken. So we want to quiet our souls. We want to quiet our hearts, our minds in this moment and hear from you 
as we confess our weakness, our need, our sins to you. Will you minister to our hearts? Let's take some time to bring our, our hearts before the Lord this morning. Lord, we thank you that your word is not an abstract concept. Yes, it is a book, but even more so, thank you that your word became flesh and dwelt among us. Thank you that we have seen your glory in the face of Jesus, and we have received through him grace upon grace, and he has made you known. Thank you for eyes that see, for ears that hear. Thank you, Lord, that we get to taste and see that you are good. And that because of a miracle in our hearts, we can say we delight in your word. We want to say that together this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and Let's read these words together from Psalm 119. Let's declare these words. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all Thank you. 
I want to invite you to stand once again as we give attention to and honor the Word of the Lord. Our reading this morning is from Psalm 19, a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By keeping them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. 
then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, good morning, familia. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, and what a blessing it is for us to get to worship uh, together. So I want to welcome you all, those of you that are a part of the church and are worshiping with us here in person, those of you that are worshiping with us online, I want to welcome you all um, as well. If you're visiting the church for the first time, we are so glad that you're here. We are here to love you and serve you in any way we can. Now, before the preaching of the word, um, we wanted to do a special prayer. As you, if you have been part of the church, you know that as a church, one of our values is that diversity honors God. Uh, so we believe that the church uh, ought to reflect what Jesus came to create, a community that according to Ephesians chapter 2, um, it, it's a community in which the married and the single, the male and the female, the people of different uh, economic backgrounds, people of different generations, and people of different cultures and ethnicities are united in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. And as you know, tomorrow our nation celebrates and remembers Martin Luther King Jr.'s day. And as a church, we believe that it's important that we acknowledge that and we celebrate that because what he, some of the things that Martin Luther stood for and fought, and fought for is something that we find extremely important because it is biblical. See, what he stood for and what he fought for is that all peoples of all colors and races and ethnicities have dignity and value. And that's significant because for us Christians, all peoples of all colors and races and ethnicities have been created in the image of God. There's beauty in, in the diversity of colors and races and ethnicities. Therefore, as a church, we want to join the rest of our nation as we remember this man that the Lord used, uh, a man that used his, uh, his biblical knowledge to stand for the things that the Bible talks about. Therefore, I want to invite you uh, to pray with me and to ask the Lord to continue to bring his restoration in all creation, including all the differences and the struggles that we have among different ethnicities. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that uh, as a church, we believe that all human beings have been created in the image of God. That every single one of us, regardless of our background, and life story and ethnicity reflect you in a unique way. And for that, we're grateful. We are grateful, Lord, that we get to see the beauty in, the, in human beings, regardless of how they look and what they do. Lord, and today we want to join the rest of our nation as we celebrate this week Martin Luther King. Not because we want to exalt, exalt him, but because we want to exalt the God that he worshiped. Lord, and we want to remember the things that he taught and fought for because we believe them to be biblical. Lord, please give us the wisdom to continue to grow as a nation. Give us the wisdom to grow as a church. And please, Lord, make of us a church that truly reflects this multi-ethnic, 
this multicultural, multi-generational kingdom of God. Would you please, Lord, now speak to us? We have been singing about your word. Would you please, Lord, reflect uh, or speak into our hearts, Lord, the things that we need to learn. May the Holy Spirit illuminate our minds. May he give us understanding. May he guide us, Lord, and may the meditations of our mouth, the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, all right, how are we doing today? Is everyone okay? Good. Today, I'm super excited because we're starting a 12-week series that we have called Gospel Culture in which we have been talking about this, we're going to be talking about these 12 biblical traits found in the scripture that help us, that will help us as a church with three things. So I'm going to need you to remember these three things all throughout this series. Number one, throughout these 12 weeks, talking about these 12 biblical traits, this is going to give us a blueprint of what it means to be the church according to the Bible. We're going to talk about some of the beliefs that we ought to have some of the things that we ought to practice that are reflected in the scripture that describes what a church ought to be. This is going to be a reminder for some of you or a refresher for some of you. Uh, this might be some brand new information for those of some of you that are not familiar with what the church is supposed to be. My prayer is that at the end of these 12 weeks, we have a full understanding of what it means to be the church. Amen? And what it means to not be the church. So nowadays, everyone could give a description of what the church is. Uh, that is nothing like what the Bible says the church ought to be. The church is more than just a group of people coming together. The church is much more than just saying that we believe the Bible. The church is much more than that. My prayer is that the Lord uses this series to clarify what we're supposed to be as a church. Reason number two why we want to do this series is because this is going to give us a blueprint of the historical elements or the historical beliefs and practices that God has used to bring a spiritual renewal or spiritual revival. These are the things that we see throughout church history that not only describe what the church is and supposed to be, but those are the very things that the Lord has used to bring a spiritual revival or spiritual uh, renewal to his, uh, to his people. Now, <clears throat> These are practices and beliefs that, um, that, that, uh, that will help us, or you, you could say it, would, um, it will prepare us to see if the Lord will bring a spiritual revival in our midst. Listen, when we talk about spiritual revival or spiritual renewal, we're not talking about something that we can create as, as human beings. So the church cannot manipulate or create a revival. That's the Lord's doing. But what we can do, though, is to practice and believe the things that we're supposed to to see if the Lord will use them the way he has used them in church history. Amen? And number three, throughout this series, I hope that we get to see or we get to embrace the tools, for, the, for a lack of a better word, the tools needed for us to remain faithful and fruitful in the midst of an increasing secular world. What the church is, how is it that we could prepare ourselves for spiritual revival if that's what the Lord has? And how do we remain faithful and fruitful in the midst of an increasing secular society? That's how important this series is for me. And that's how important this series is for all of us. 
And obviously, though, as a church, we're supposed to start with, with the most important topic. Not because it's more important of all, but because everything else we're going to talk about for these 12 weeks come actually from this very first topic. And we're going to talk about the supremacy of the scripture. And that's why we talked about, that's why we read Psalm 19. There is no church without the Bible. There is no church without the supremacy of the scripture. There is no revival without the Bible. And there is no faithfulness or fruitfulness without the Bible. I can actually finish the sermon right now. I hope you know that there's nothing we could live and apply and practice without the Bible. That's why we are a Bible church. Amen? Amen. That's why we're here. Now, just in case, yeah, give him glory. But just in case you, uh, you are not convinced yet, or you think that you know as much as you need to know, because that has been my experience, I want to walk you through Psalm 19, answering four questions. Just a refresher, once again, for some of us, and um, brand new information for some others. I want to answer the questions, why is the scripture supreme? Why do we need it? Who is at the center of it? And how do we keep it at the center of our lives? Now, I want to prep you for it. For the first point, I'm going to spend most of my time. And then a little less in the second point, much less in the third point, and the last one is just stuff for you to know. Is that clear? So if I spend most of my time on my first point, don't think that I'm going to preach for two hours. (laughs) Hour and a half maybe, but not two hours. Is that good? Let's go with the first point. Why is the scripture supreme? I need you to do me a favor. Look at the person next to you and ask this question. Are you ready for this? Go ahead, go ahead. All right. Let's try to answer the first question. One of our core beliefs as Christians, I would say, if you're a believer, or one of the core beliefs we have as the church, is that we know that the God we worship is a God that wants to be known. Amen? Is that one of our core believers, if you're a believer as a Christian, is that God takes the initiative to make himself known. God is a God that is personal, relational, and therefore he wants to make himself known. Now, he makes himself known in two different ways. This psalm is going to show us both ways, and it's going to explain why these two ways are important, but why these two ways are different. So the beginning of the psalm, from verses 1 through 6, is going to talk about something that scholars call general revelation, meaning that God reveals himself to everyone through nature. So for example, verses 1 and 2 says that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Verse 2, day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. Notice, Notice those words, declare Proclaim, reveal. King David, which is the person that wrote this psalm, is saying that one of the ways we know God is by looking at nature, observing nature, paying attention to nature because nature is declaring, proclaiming, and revealing something about God. One of the scholars says that when we look at nature, we are looking at the silent word of God. Silent because we can hear it, but we could see it. That we can hear his voice, quote-unquote, through nature. 
even though there are no words involved. That's why in verses 3 and 4, it says that the things created have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out um, into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. This is a beautiful poetic way to say that there's so many things that we can learn about our creator by looking at the creation. That when you look at creation, it's like a piece of art that points to the creator's mind. Another scholar puts it that this is like creation singing about its creator. This is actually part of the reason why as Christians, there has been this spiritual practice of contemplation. Contemplation simply means that you look at nature and you meditate on how this nature reflects the character and the nature, per se, of our God. It helps us see the beauty, the magnitude, the perfection, the power, the creativity, and the wisdom of the God we worship. That's what it's called general revelation, once again. But there's a difference between the way we contemplate as Christians and, let's say, the way New Age contemplates. See, New Age movement says that you look at nature and you contemplate, but you empty your mind and you enjoy the view, and that brings you peace. That's not what we do as Christians. We look at nature, we contemplate nature, and, uh, nature, and nature supposed to take us back to God. We don't empty our minds. We think about God. The difference is, and one... The object of adoration is nature. That's New Age. For Christians, the object of adoration is God. So God communicates through this general revelation, and we could learn some of who God is and what God does. But I want to argue, which is the case that David argues here, that general, revela uh, general revelation is not enough. That if we really want to get to know God, we need his word. That we need something that other theologians have called special revelation. That's actually what verses 7 through 10 talks about. Before we get there though, let me get, make a couple of arguments why I think that general revelation is not enough. Let me, my first argument is that general revelation is not enough. It's not enough because when you look at creation, you might get a confused view of who God is. You know why I say that? Here's an example. Think about nature, look at nature, pay attention to the, uh, to the ecosystem, right? And you see how everything works and how some organisms provide for other organisms, and how everything functions with perfection. And we might see how God in nature displays himself as a God that is perfect, good, and wise. We could see that in nature. On the other hand, there are other things in nature that I would say that without the word are simply confusing because the same God that holds nature and protects nature and creates everything beautiful is also a God that allows tornadoes and hurricanes and natural disasters. Don't you think that if we just have a knowledge of God based on nature, that will be confusing? 
how could a good God that creates all these beautiful things also brings these things or allows these things? I actually think that just looking at creation could actually send you mixed signals, confusing. You know that mixed signals are hard to interpret. So, for example, me as a preacher, there has been many times in, we, in, we, in which my wife is sitting right in front of me. Right? And I'm preaching. And then my wife is showing me the scissors. She's going like this. <laughs> That's a signal, right? But I don't know what that signal means. I don't know if she's saying that the sermon is terrible. I don't know. I don't know if she's saying, well, you're talking too fast or people are not understanding. I don't know. I don't know if I said something that offended somebody. I don't know. I don't even know if she was thinking about something else. And I happened to look at her when she went. (laughs) That's kind of what happens when you look at nature without the word of God. That's what happens when you only have general revelation without special revelation. See, not only that's a good argument to say, why is it that we need the spoken word of God? But another reason why I think we need the spoken word of God and not just general revelation is because God could be misunderstood. You know why I say that? Here's another example. Think about a lion. Have you ever been in a zoo? You probably have seen a lion close to you. And that's an amazing animal, actually. There's a reason why the word lion is used in the Bible to describe Jesus. That in itself should tell you that lions are special. And when you look at a lion, you see that they're big, right, and good-looking. And they're elegant, strong, and fast. You ever seen a lion run? Man, you see those animals, and you can see the muscles in the shoulders, right? You can see the mane flying as they run or chase somebody. That's a beautiful picture, and we could say, man, God is magnificent by just looking at a lion. But seconds later, you see the same lion chasing and killing Bambi. <laughs> For those of you that don't know what Bambi is, you search it up. I know it's, it's an older thing. It's a deer. It's this vulnerable, lovable, a young deer that Disney created. People... I don't care how beautiful the lion is. When you see Bambi being eaten by the lion, that's not pretty. (laughs) He doesn't show you how amazing and beautiful and perfect God is just by looking at that nature. He doesn't show you how amazing and transcendent God is just by looking at nature. General revelation is not enough. We need words. And that's why verses 7 through 10 are so important. The only way we get to know God and grow in our knowledge of God is by paying attention, embracing, and believing the words of God. Now, let me walk you through these verses because I think they're amazing. So, for example, from verses 7 to 9, we find the word Lord six times. Look at what it says, the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the decrees of the Lord. And the first part of those sentences used different words to describe the word of God. Law, statutes, precepts, commands, fears, and decrees. 
But notice that after every single one of us, uh, 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 one of those, the word Lord is attached. Now, the word Lord in the original, this is the name Yahweh, which is his most personal name and his covenant name. And he tells us that this God that gives us laws, statutes, precepts, commands, fears, and decrees is a personal God, a covenant God. Do you know why that's important? Listen up, church. Because David says that everything the Lord says, everything he commands, everything he expects of us, everything that he lets us know does not come from a God that wants to make your life miserable. It comes from a God that wants a covenant relationship with you a personal relationship with you. Let me put it this way. His laws, statutes, statutes pre precepts, commands, fears, and decrees are expressions or descriptions of who God is. Therefore, everything he says is good. It's not to make your life miserable. It's not to take joy away from you. It's actually the opposite. It creates this covenant personal relationship with the God we worship. There's no relationship with God without the word of God. Your attitude toward his word is your attitude toward God. I believe that David understood that. I believe that David understood that behind every law, statute, precept, command, fear, and decree is the character and nature of God. This is why in verse 10, he says these beautiful words. He says that the law, everything that God says is more precious than gold, than much, uh, than much pure than gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. The word precious there can be translated as desirable. A treasure to him. Now, I don't know where you stand in your relationship with the Lord, and I don't know where you stand in your relationship with the Bible, but if the Bible is not precious to you, that's actually a reflection of your relationship with the Lord. This is why as a church, the word ought to be supreme, of uttermost importance. Now, just in case you're not convinced yet, let me explain what the different words that are there used to describe what the Word of God is are so important to us, or it should be so important to us. Let's look at these words again. Law, statutes, precepts, commands, fears, and decree. Let me walk you through every single one of them really quick. When the Bible uses the word law, it's talking about the revealed will of God. In other words, if you want to have a relationship with him, you don't need to guess what he likes and what he doesn't like, what he likes or what he hates, what he loves and what he hates. What the Bible says, that is the revealed will of God. We don't get to choose which, of the Bible, which verses of the Bible we like. We don't get to choose what verses of the Bible we don't like. We don't get to choose what doctrines in the Bible we like. 
We don't get to choose what doctrines of the Bible we don't like. The most illogic thing someone has said to me, a Christian years ago, so don't worry, he's not here. He says, well, I don't agree with that in the Bible. (laughs) What? You don't get to do that. I don't get to do that. I might wrestle with something. I might struggle with something. But if the word of God is the word of God, it is the revealed will of God. I don't know if you ever heard this from Mark Twain. He said, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I can understand that bothers me. It is the parts that I do not understand. Let me say it again. It ain't the parts of the Bible that I cannot understand that bothers me. It's the parts that I do not understand. That I do understand. Mark Twain is saying, my struggle with the Bible is that I understand what it says, and I don't agree with it. That's interesting, right? The word statues here means that the word is true. Every single word, every single phrase, every single verse, every single chapter in the Bible is true. Because every single word, every single verse, every single chapter is inspired by God, comes directly from the mouth of God. And if that is true, it's not only true, but also sufficient, meaning that everything we need to know about God, salvation, all these things, you'll find it in the Bible, and that everything we do as Christians supposed to flow from the Bible. If it's true, the Bible is the filter by which we pass everything we believe and practice. The word precepts tells you that the word is perfect. No mistakes on it. Inerrant. You know what that means? That we might have a struggle interpreting the scripture and that there has been people that has misused the scripture but it tells you that there are no mistakes in the bible the mistakes is the way we read the bible amen it's not only true it's not only perfect but it's also authority and that's what the word commands means oh i'm sorry i went ahead i don't know i I don't know i did that commands It tells you that in everything we do as believers, God is the ultimate authority, meaning that everything in the Bible is not a suggestion for you to consider. It's what we ought to believe and what we ought to submit to. Let me make the argument that unless you learn how to do that, you can't have a relationship with God. You must learn to allow His will to cross your will. Because that's what it means to have a relationship with anybody. Imagine me going to Heidi and say, baby, we want, I want to be with you forever. But I'm sorry, don't tell me what you like and what you don't like. That's not how it's going to go. In a true relationship, you got to allow the other person to cross your will. If it's the right thing to do. He uses expression, expression, the fear of the Lord, which is interesting. A better translation of that, in my opinion, is the reverence of the Lord, meaning that it is through the Scripture, and it is in the Scripture in which we learn to have reverence for our God. The word decrees is that the Bible tells you what is right and wrong. 
Our morality is not based on public opinion. What we consider that we should do as a church is not based on what the culture is saying. What we do as a church and what we believe as Christians is based on the decrees of the Bible. What God says is right and what God says is wrong. It doesn't matter what we feel and what people feel. It doesn't matter what people say or don't say. At the end of the day, as Christians, if we want to be the church, if we want to experience revival, if we want to remain faithful and fruitful in the midst of a secular, increasing secular uh, community, we must believe that the Bible tells you what is right and what is wrong. This is what Tim and Kathy Keller said in their devotional book, in the book of Psalms. It says, everything the Bible asserts is true. It must be followed regardless of our emotional likes, cultural customs, or popular opinion. Also, God's word is eternal. Nothing the Bible says can go out of date. We do not need to modernize, correct, or supplement it. Certainly, the word is more than simply a book of true statements. It is the way to know God and his sufficient love. But this encounter is based on these doctrinal commitments to the full inspiration and authority of the Bible. If we cannot trust what it says of God, we cannot know the God it shows us. Can you see why the Bible is supreme? So we as a staff, we have been talking a little bit about this. And once a month, um, as a staff, we have this lunch. And just to spend time together, talk about the church a little bit, celebrate some things, right? And every now and then we have someone shares uh, their testimony. And this month uh, we had, uh, uh, actually this week, Donna Stone sharing her testimony. For those of you who don't know who Donna is, Donna was uh, my predecessor's Rob assistant, personal assistant, and is now my assistant. And that means that she's the lady that runs this church, basically. Um, and, and it, that means that she wrote this sermon, and I think it's, she, she did okay so far, right? Um, and she's sharing this, her testimony, and she says something that really caught my attention, and I, and I shared this after she, share, she shared this with the staff. She says that she grew up in church. She grew up hearing the Word of God, learning the Word of God, and memorizing the Word of God. And she said that for many years she felt that her testimony was boring, you know why? Because as a church, there's this uh, tendency to celebrate like the amazing, powerful uh, testimonies of God delivering people from crazy sins and transforming. And for all of that, I'm super grateful. And praise God for that. Some of you might have that testimony. But you know what I find even more, more amazing, more and more powerful? That we will have a whole church, a whole generation of kids that are full of boring testimonies. That would be amazing. It would be amazing that the Bible is so supreme, so central, that at church and at home, our kids grow up learning the law, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the fear and decrees of the Lord, that their decrees, all everything that the Lord says is precious to them, sweeter than honey. Amen. That's a great testimony. Powerful testimony. That's my prayer for me. My prayer for you. My prayer for the church, my prayer for our kids. Don't you think that the Bible is supreme? Or it ought to be supreme. Yeah, how about if you gave him glory? All right, if it's going to be two or three of you guys, that's going to be really bad. <laughs> Let's do it again. How about if we give him glory?
All right. I would say that that's enough for us to finish the service and go home. Right? No, there's more. This is the second question. Why is the scripture, why, why do we need it? Not only why is it supreme, but why do we need it? And I want you to look at these phrases from verses 7 through 9 again. It tells you that the word of God is refreshing to the soul. It makes wise the simple. It gives joy to the heart. It gives light to the eyes. It endures forever. And that every single command, word, law, decree, everything that God says is righteous. Let me walk you through that really quick. Because the Bible refreshes the soul, that means that there is no spiritual renewal without the Bible. That's what the word refreshes there means, renewal. There is no reshaping of your identity unless you have the Bible. It tells you that because the word is active, the word of God is active, that's the reason why it produces joy. That's why it illuminates you. That's why it gives you understanding. It tells you that because the word of God is, endures forever, is how we know that the Bible is always relevant. It doesn't matter how old you are, where you have been, what you do or don't do. What your background and what your experience is, the Bible is always relevant. As a church, we don't have to try to be relevant. As long as we preach and teach the Bible, we will always be relevant. Because the word of God is righteous, it can be trusted. But notice that it says that it gives wisdom to the simple. You know what that means? The text assumes that by nature we are simple people that need the wisdom of God. You know what simple means? And you're about to get offended, not by me, but by the Bible. A simple person is a person that believes anything and is led by anything. That's a simple person. And someone may say, well, that's not me. I don't believe what people say. Mm. Did you know that most of the stuff you believe, most of the things I believe, flow from our history, our family, our culture, our ethnicity, our personal experience, and our traditions. Did you know that no one comes neutral to the Bible? That's why we have to be careful with the interpretation. Because we all bring something to the Bible when we read the Bible. Let me put it this way. <clears throat> I think you can understand this. You know that in this room right now, and those of you worshiping with us online right now, everyone can right now hear my accent. Except one person. <laughs> me! And I find that, you know, kind of frustrating because I, I don't get to hear how cool my accent is. <laughs> but the reality is that I'm conditioned to hearing my voice and the way I pronounce things. So you, as a native speaker, you can identify when I, have said, when I have said something that doesn't make any sense. I can hear that. Have you ever heard your, yourself in a recording? 
and you hear your voice and you say, well, that's not my voice. Yeah, that's exactly how you sound. Not very pleasing. <laughs> this is why we are simple people. We are conditioned by everything we have lived, everything we have heard. And therefore, we need the wisdom of the word of God to correct our simplicity. And if you don't believe that that's what's happening here, look at what verses 11 through 13 says. Um, By them your servant is warned, but who can discern their own errors? That's a rhetorical question. Who's going to be able to see when they're doing wrong by themselves? Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. You know what that tells you? That unless the Bible intervenes, we will be ruled by our sin and our preconceptions. Unless the Bible shapes you. Let me read this quote really quick by Charlie Dates. I've used this quote before, but I haven't found anything better. Charlie Dates is a pastor in the south side of Chicago. He says this, His word is like he is, and since he don't lie, his word cannot lie. Cannot, and, and since he don't die, his word cannot die. And since he endures, his word endures. The word of God is living. Its predictions are correct. Its judgments are indisputable. Its corrections are timeless. Its assertions are reliable. It's fresher than tomorrow's news. It's more definite than our constitution. It is the backbone of science. It is the foundation of the highest philosophy. It is the inspiration of poets. It is the entrance of music. It will build your faith. It will fight your temptation. It will light your path. It will clarify your decisions. It will feed your soul. It will clean your conscience. Time cannot age it, and ages do not time it. The Word of God is alive, and you you ain't never read a book like it. It is the Word of God. Can you see why the word is supreme? And let me answer question number three, really quick. Who is at the center of it? Now, I'm not going to spend much time on this one because that's the topic for next week. But I want you to see that David did something, uh, has like an interesting twist at the end of the psalm. In verses uh, 14 and 15, in verses 14, he says this, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. But what is interesting about that verse, though, is that it seems like a simple prayer, but David is using a language that is preparing us for something bigger and greater, if you will. So, for example, the word pleasing there is the same word that is used for sacrifice. Why would David use the word sacrifice right at the end of this psalm? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart may be a sacrifice in your sight. And then he talks God as a rock and a redeemer, as someone that protects and rescues. Notice that he doesn't talk about God. As, a, as someone that is condemning sinners or as a judge, but as a redeemer. And this is what David does not know, but we know. This is what the Spirit was leading him to say, even though he did not fully understand what he was saying. He was preparing the way for the ultimate redeemer. 
He was preparing the way to the one that the, the Holy Scriptures talks about. He was preparing the way for the one that will be the ultimate sacrifice. This redeeming, uh, this redeemer sacrifice that the entire scriptures points to. The word of God in human form. That's why in Luke chapter 24, when Jesus is having an interaction with two of the disciples, he says that everything was to be fulfilled that was written about him in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Paul says the same thing in Acts chapter 28. It says that Jesus fulfilled everything that the prophet said and, and the law of Moses said. In Hebrews chapter 1 says something similar. It says, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through prophets in many times in various ways. But in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. Can you see what David was doing without knowing what he was doing? He was helping us see that at the end of the day, everything in the scripture is pointing us to Jesus. Therefore, we cannot know about Jesus, we cannot worship Jesus, and we cannot encounter Jesus apart from the Word. One last question. How do we keep the Word at the center, mm, at the center of our lives? And this is more practical, and I want to explain to you what my desire is, what our desire as the leadership church is, and what we want from you. Number one, I want you to learn how to trust the Bible even though you don't understand it sometimes. Trust it. Because everything that God says comes from a personal, covenant, good, perfect, trustworthy God. Trust it. Number two, read it. See, as a, Bible, as a church, we're doing this Bible reading plan two chapters a day. And I know that some of you guys struggle the same way I struggle. Let's say that you, get, you, you, you forgot to read or you got super busy and then you, don't, you, 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 you just want to catch up, but now it's like 20 verses instead of two or 20 chapters instead of two and then you give up or you just don't do it. Listen, it doesn't matter how many chapters you skip. Read it. I guarantee you that the, that the word of God will never come back empty. Never comes back empty. And hear from us, from me as a church, we are committed not only to teach the Bible, preach the Bible, um, teach you the Bible in all of our groups and small groups and mid-sized groups and all these ministries. But I want you to know that as a church, we are committing ourselves to let the Bible rule the church. Meaning that everything we do has to have a biblical explanation behind it. And that everything that we don't do is because we don't understand that the Bible gives us a principle or informs us on how we're supposed to do the things that we're supposed to do. Are there things that we can learn as a church from the outside world? Of course. We believe in, remember, um, common grace. That's something that we're going to talk about later on. But we believe that the Lord, all truth and good stuff comes from the Lord. So there's much learn to learn there. There's many things to learn there. But as a church... We want the Bible to be at the center of everything we do. And I, want, and I want the Bible to be in the center of everything you do. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that we have your word. We are grateful, Lord, that you are a God that desires to communicate, to be known, and to help us know you.
I pray, Lord, that as a church, we fully embrace more and more, and we believe more and more, that your Bible is supreme. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus, and we say... Whatever our relationship is with the scriptures today, we can have a new beginning starting today. So this prayer, as we end our time together, this song is a prayer for us as individuals and us as a family to, for God to intersect our lives with his word, for him to speak through it. So as we go out and, and go about our days and weeks and the months to come, we just want God to, to be real and to be truly speaking through his word to us. So let's stand and sing.
for finishing the service, I want to remind you that it's a ch I want to invite you to continue to pray for the church, to sustain the church financially, and to continue to serve the church because at the end of the day, it is in the church where the word is proclaimed and also manifested through the different, different, different things that we do. How about if we finish today listening and receiving the words in verse 14 in Psalm 19. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. Have a blessed day.